615 presents Off the Record with Tom Lamore and Cami Fox. Off the Record 615. Off the Record. Welcome back to 615's Off the Record podcast. My name's Tom Lamore, aka Tom DeLips, and I'm joined by my co host, Cami Fox. Yes, Tom, thanks for that. And uh, today's guest is the one and only DJ, producer, A&R manager, Carl Hannigan. How are we doing today? I'm good, Cammy and Tom. How are you guys? Very good, mate. Thanks. Very good. Very good. I was going to say, I probably uh, could list off another 16 jobs I can do on top of those. I know. I've <laughs> 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 got a list here. I was just going through them. I was like, wow. Is this yeah, we can't, we can't yeah. go through everything. Let's do the headlines first. Yeah, the headlines. Perfect. So, Carl... We'll get straight into the pod. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and who you represent. Yep. So uh, as already introduced, I'm Carl Hannigan. I'm a DJ, producer, record label person who has done so much within record labels and in the industry since 2001 for labels such as Defected Records, Ministry of Sound, Head Candy, 615, of course, which we'll get onto later. Uh, yeah, just... Uh, Producing a lot of music right now in these times. So, um, yeah, making the most of it. Good man. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. You've got a, well, you've got, we could chat all day about the history of where you've been and who you've worked with and stuff. It's quite interesting. But I want you to, to sort of brush up on that because I'd say what you do right now is more of a consult, consultancy. You're working on a consultancy basis with obviously uh, knowledge of the industry that you've picked up along the years. Tell everyone a bit about how you've come to become that that consultant and maybe some of the people you're working with now? I think the consultancy mainly came around from, well, really, it was me relocating myself. Um, I'm originally from Brighton and I moved up to London to work um, in the industry. And then in 2013, me and my wife and Harrod, we decided to uh, moved to her hometown, which happens to be located in mid Wales, in the middle of nowhere in the countryside. Um, you know, so I went from having a life by the sea into the hustle and bustle of the city to basically being in the middle of nowhere, quiet life, and uh, but in a position to continue doing what I was doing because although I had left Ministry of Sounds um, just before this within my role with Head Candy, they asked me to continue um, compiling the compilation albums, which I've been doing for four years previous to this time. And um, so for a further two years after moving to, to Wales, I was still doing that. In, and basically off the back of that, was running record labels, uh, producing music for myself and other people. And, you know, bumping into people like yourself in, in wonderful locations as a DJ, being yeah. in Ibiza or Germany or the other side of the world in Korea and Thailand and places like that. And just, you know, I had a good life as a DJ as well on the road. So, you yeah. know, it was, um, it was, you know, moving here and, the you know, the industry is online. We know that more so than ever. And I think consultation thing is just so much, so easy to, to be able to offer from you know, the wealth and experience that I've got picked up along the way. Yeah, because you've had quite a lot of experience working with other labels as well as Ministry and Head Candy, which is obviously, you know, foremost where uh, we met, which we'll, we will go on to a little bit of the history about how we met shortly. What other labels and what other brands have you worked with that, you know, I know people will be really keen to, to hear a little bit about that. So my first ever 
adventure in music industry was uh, I did work experience for six months at Defected Records in 2001. Maybe it was 2002, sorry. It was 2002. And um, I was at college at the time doing a higher national diploma in music production and DJ skills, it was called. Tammy was about and, nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, yeah. I'm the head of uh, teaching, Jim Jamoa, he managed to bring Simon Dunmore in for a masterclass session. And obviously these masterclass sessions, are com- they're not compulsory, they're just additional stuff that you can go and attend. And um, Defective Records for me was something like, you know, I was at the time, I was, I was just really grasping what house music was the last year, over the last year. Before that, I was into trance and I was into garage, mm. amongst many other genres. But anyway, Simon came in and did his master. And right at the end, he said, well, you know, if anyone's interested in work experience, you know, come and get in touch and, um, and we'll see what we can do. And um, I was one of four people that applied for the role and I got it, which was amazing. I was quite lucky, though. I had um, friends in London who I could live with and stay with. And yeah. they, I didn't, you know, I lived on their sofa for six months, literally eating <laughs> things on toast and tins yeah. of soup and stuff like that. Literally living, I had no money. I had no money. I had nothing to me whatsoever. But it was an invaluable time. And I worked with some amazing people who, you know, I could still speak to now. I could still pick up the phone. And then you also look at other people I worked with who gone on to progress their careers um, as well and see where they're at now. And it's really inspiring. Um, yeah. So that started there. And then I, I remember I went home for a bit. I went back down to Brighton because I ran out of money. <laughs> I needed to go see my <laughs> mum and dad. And the, the honest truth was, just, yeah, I, I needed a job. And I went and worked in an independent record store. Yeah. called Powerplay, which is actually in Eastbourne, which is about 25 minutes down the road from Brighton. I loved it. I was, it was stacking shelves, putting out all the new CD releases every day. And yeah. it was around the time when Barry White, unfortunately, passed away. And I just remember it was madness like that day because it was, Carl, you've got to stack, you've got to get all these Barry White CDs on the shelves because he's just passed away. And I was like, it's mental. Like, whoa, what's happened in here? Like, it was the first experience of really seeing what, Music meant to other people other than just mm. myself as well. Seeing things and, and, yeah. and learning people's buying, how they would buy music, how they would consume mm. it on CD and vinyl. And we even just, was, it was at the tail end of selling cassettes as well. So I was picking up all this experience doing that. And um, then I started DJing in uh, local bars and clubs. Uh, it was bars to begin with. Uh, reputable clothing brand, Animal were next to where we were. And one of the guys who worked in there was also a barman at a local bar, townhouse. And he said, and he was like, we were just chatting one day, he goes, oh, give me a mix CD, I'll play it in the shop. Animal were playing my mix CD in their store. And, and um, next he's like, oh, I've played. one of the managers came in from the bar, they wanted you to come into a set. And I remember, I said it, I said, yeah, yeah, fine, no worries. And I went down there, and there was two other DJs. It's funny, because I was listening back to your podcast with Will Maiden, yeah. similar situation where you kind of you walked into this environment someone else is already DJing and you've been told you've got a guest set and you're like you know you don't want to step on any toes or anything like that and you're going in there and it was like wow like I'm going to do a set now and these two lads <laughs> blessed them they were like who the hell is this who is this <laughs> like uh, 
And I had just done work experience for Defected. And bear in mind, all I had, off the back of working there for that six months, was so much vinyl and all these Defected in-house T-shirts, which were the coolest T-shirt I could ever own at the time. And even now, I wish I still had them. I, I was just about to say, do you still have them T-shirts? No. Brilliant I, little memory. Oh, no. I wish... I, I, this, I might have one somewhere, but... Um, yeah, you, you don't know what you had until you've mm. got, until they've gone right. It's the same with football tops. I wish my mum and dad kept all my football tops, but that's another story. But anyway, these two lads are like, you know, who's this lad who's coming here? And um, fair to say, like, I impressed, which was great. They yeah. wanted to keep me on and got a residency out of it. The other lads kept their gigs. And I actually grew up with these two then. These two lads took me under the wing and we became good mates and, you know, they were ushers at my wedding and, uh, you know, still talk to each other. I actually helped one of them set up his own record label eventually and he's gone on to tour the world off the back of that as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, throughout this industry that I've been able to create new friendships. Yeah, it's a good place I've for been. that. Yeah. And during that time, anyway, there was a new super club, as it was called, open up in Eastbourne, so I became a resident there. And just at that point, I applied for a job as a promotions boy. Uh, God knows what that means to anyone. Uh, but working at a big record label in London, and I didn't really know what the job was going to be, but I just went for it. And I remember I had a phone call, and I was on a train, and it was, uh, hi, is that Carl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this is uh, Sarita from Ministry of Sound. And I was like, oh, okay, brilliant. And then all of a sudden, go through a tunnel. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh. Signal's gone, completely gone. <laughs> I'm absolutely... Who were you ready thinking. for at the time? Was that CR2? No, 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 no. That was later. That came oh, right. later, CR2. Right. Um, but yeah, this Sarita, luckily yeah. she rang back. She rang back. She was like, you applied for this job with us to come and work in the A&R department at Ministry of Sound to, uh, to basically send music out to DJs and stuff like that. Oh, did I? Oh, okay, brilliant. <laughs> Do you want to come up for an interview? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, sure. So I went up, I had three interviews in total and uh, I remember getting a job and the next one was like, wow, I'm moving to the big city. And um, uh, so, so I started sending out, started working there. I was basically building up a mailing list of DJs, sending Ministry of Sound releases to them to support and play in clubs, bars, venues. And I used to go out to all the venues. I travel the UK uh, on a Saturday, Friday and Saturday night and go and give CDs out to DJs, take their email addresses, postal addresses, send out all this stuff. And then they started sending me abroad. So I used to go to all the holiday resorts. And then, um, and then during this time, Ministry of Sound bought Head Candy. So we had a whole takeover of Head Candy. And um, Ministry of Sounds events as a business was quite a strong. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was huge. And they bought Head Candy. And Head Candy was even bigger as a touring brand. And they needed new DJs, new musicians, all that kind of stuff. And um, they knew that as a DJ, I was playing vocal funky house and offered me the opportunity to get involved. And uh, that was, I can't remember the year now, but I was deaf. During that time, I was definitely a, a resident DJ for over 12 years, I think it was in total, for Headcount. Yeah. So I never looked back. It was just full on, like every weekend. Two, two to three gigs every weekend, continuously for about at least eight of those years. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a mad time. And 
during a, I kind of was working my way up the ladder within A&R and r Ministry of Sound as well. I signed a couple of artists. Went into the drum and bass world. I loved it. I love drum and bass as much as I love a lot of genres of music. Uh, signed J Magic and Wicker Man. And we had a, we had a top 40 hit record with Crazy World, which um, was the first drum and bass record to be played on Radio 1 since Shy Effects and T-Power. Uh, uh, you know, shake your body up. So it was a bit of a, a massive achievement. I didn't really, but at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on because it was like an accident. I fell into it by signing yeah. that record. Yeah. And then off the back of that, I managed, um, I went on to sign DJ Fresh and Gold Dust. Mm. Which obviously a lot of people remember. I think it's quite an yeah. iconic record, that. Yeah, it was. It certainly is for me. I mean, because yeah. I, mean, I definitely remember when that came out, the video. I think it was the video for me that did it, the music video. It was because... As an instrumental, I mean, the, the story on this is so in-depth and the, the person who's going to take most of the credit, apart from the artist himself, is a girl called, or a lady called uh, Caroline Clayton and she was she was a coordinator in the A&R team and then she ended up putting this idea together for this video there, and she landed this, she ended up being a creative marketing, she ended up moving up the ladder herself through doing this video, putting the idea together. Yeah, and you know, hats off to her because she smashed it. And on it YouTube, it, it became one of the first YouTube viral videos. I think it was yeah, up there. I, it as it one was. Of the, mm. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a big. It was a big one because I remember mm. it's one of the tunes that I remember very, very, very well when that was released. I mean, during this time, after signing Gold Dust, unfortunately, I was made redundant. Um, no fault of my own. Just was told by Ministry of Sound financial cutbacks. Yeah. Which were, you know, I wasn't the only one. I think there was about 16 people across the whole of the business. But then at the time, the, the weird thing was, is I then started working. I got my own recording studio in uh, in Borough, my Borough Market. Uh, with, uh, well, basically, it wasn't a real proper recording studio. It was Wes Clark, who was a head canny DJ. He's now mm. like a massive, he's got a Grammy. He's mixed down clean band yeah. there. It's the old hit factory in... Um, Pete Waterman's old hit factory where like Kylie Minogue was written. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Jason Bond oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I had this, I had Wes's spare room, which it was like, um, it was just like a recording room and he just was rented it out as a studio. And it's funny, I had uh, Miss Dynamite come down to record the vocal for Dan, DJ Fresh, for that track for Gold Dust. And um, it just was weird how I'd signed that record, got made redundant, found myself some space and all of a sudden, I'm recording the vocal for that track. It was just a weird roundabout. Um, she ended up not featuring on the record anyway. Um, not sure why. I don't want to go. Was it her on it? No. It wasn't. No, they ended no. up getting a sound alike. I think she was an artist on her own right, but she was... Yeah, I was going to say, it's a very similar vo vo yeah. vocal sound, isn't it? Mm. But that was a really cool like experience and thing to go through. Bizarre, but, you know, um, things come to you for a reason. I mm. think I was always destined to have some involvement in that record. Yeah. Obviously, like, that's a you know, great insight into a bit about where you've come from as not only an artist, but also as a, as a professional within the music industry. So where do you see the industry going as a whole? Like, obviously, right now, again, <laughs> going back to the old, the, the old lockdown routine, we're, we're not seeing really any 
any industry moving forward right now at the moment, particularly the one with the music and uh, the entertainment hospitality sector. But where do you see the industry going in the future? Um, well, right now, I think the industry just needs to focus on content. Mm-hmm. It's generate as much content as they can because it will come back. We'll be allowed out into the big wide world once again to party, to to enjoy time with friends and family. And from a professional side of things, looking at it, you just got to keep on doing what you can within the remits of the government measures yeah. um, in order course, to, yeah. to, to see light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, look, if you can build yourself up with so much content and assets behind you, you keep going. People are going to come back to you when they know that something's regularly going to be available to them that's fresh and new. Mm. Um, such as I know, obviously, there's issues with live streaming, um, but that will get resolved. I think there will be a solution to that. It won't mm. be easy, but there will be a, res- uh, a solution. There are already channels out there appearing that, um, you know, if you get on them now, like Mixcloud Live, for example, you know, there's no reason why if you get on that now in a year's time, there's no reason why you won't be one of the main featured artists on there. You know, mm. people watching you stream off there, you know, they're covering the royalties, the PPL, PRS licenses that yeah. you need to, to be able to play other people's music. Um, but then also, in hindsight, if you look at an artist's angle, there's no reason why you can't use this time to produce 12, 15 tracks that you that would work within an hour set yourself and then use this time to showcase your own material because yeah. especially if it's unsigned, if you don't release it, then the chances are the copyright angle isn't going to even affect because I know there are issues with labels and distributors uh-huh. putting back records. But why not build your own set, your own sound? Because you never know. You might go from having 10, 15 tracks that you're doing on a live stream. In a year's time, that might turn into a live set and you're touring the world with it. Yeah. People might like, they buy into it. It's different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's food for thought anyway. Well, it is, yeah. There's, well, there's a lot of different ways that it can no, go, no. isn't there? I guess no one's really going to know what's going to happen. So suggestions are all we can put on the plate right now. Yeah. And playing your own, playing your own music is you get more of a buzz of playing your own music, anyways, than others because you, you you want to see the reactions, you want to see the responses you get. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know. No one can ever appreciate your music more than you can yourself, mm. and you will grow. Up, you know, the reaction is will only make your your love for that record grow even deeper. Mm. Brilliant, right? So, all that aside, we've had. Uh, I'm sure you've had many experience with this, but you put yourself in a position where you've been extremely busy, um, put under a lot of stress, whether it be now, whether it be years ago when you're at the when you're at ministry or bigger labels or or right now. How do you deal with like stressful, difficult times personally? I've been in some really severe stressful situations to the point where, you know, it was a year ago this month that I was in hospital. Mm. And I don't, I don't mm. know if I can put that down to stress or being busy because you never know. Like the, 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 the condition that I've been diagnosed with is, is, a, is a, such a rare thing. There's no yeah. under, underlining, there's no finger pointing at, as to what caused it. Mm. However, it's... I, I've never, you know, I'm still learning. I think I'm still learning to cope with stress and, and but I try, I'm trying. So I'm trying to do some exercise. Yeah. 
But I am definitely, like I say, I'm definitely finding things better by not reacting as quickly to things, letting things, yeah. having things, letting my thoughts, you know, settle. Being a bit more active over the last year, for example, I've got into the world of football coaching. Yeah. As a sport, I love football to bits. Like, I'm missing it so much, but it will come back when it's ready, when the time's right. Yeah. But, you know, I've got, you know, just like yourself, Tom, I've got a young boy, five years old. He's just, um, you know, he's more into football than I was at five. He's absolutely mental on it. He loves where He wears a football kit every day. Yeah. And... I remember a conversation I had with someone locally here in a pub who's related to the football club and they once said to me, I, well, I asked them the question, who would coach my son? And they turned around and said, you. You know, it's the community and it's the community. Yeah. No one else is going to bring the community together to do that. Yeah. And, I found, and yeah. until, you know, the, the lockdown, I found, I found it so rewarding that, you know, I've brought a community together. Like I brought Henry's friends all together to play yeah. football. And that's been a massive, that's helped me because it's given me something else to think about other than just, just music or, or um, chasing money yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And then chasing money is where, I'll be honest with you, that's where most, that's where the stress lies. I think, I think like, yeah, yeah. As a consultant, yeah. you know, and I'm lucky because you guys have always looked after me and that's something that I'll be eternally grateful for. And that's why... I want to give the quality back to you guys though because you mm, look yeah. after me as much as I will help you and, and we're all mates as well so that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, and, I, but, and also I know that I can pick the phone up to Tom and just moan at him for about yeah. life. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's good to have that balance though, isn't it? You can obviously have yeah. a, a business conversation but know that mm. you can have another conversation on, which is on like a friendship level as well so you can like he can speak off the record a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But that's why I mean, look, I'm not going to, you know, I like I said, I edit these podcasts. I can hear what other people are saying and, you know, everyone's different with how they cope with the stress and I'm not going to be scared to say that I actually can't cope very well. Yeah. I mean, right at this point, we normally, I normally just briefly brush upon the, the stress and, uh, and busy lifestyles and leading to you know, mental health issues. And it's always been something that a lot of people now talk more openly about, which is great. But yeah. but some of those methods you've mentioned into dealing with the stress and difficult times can be used towards dealing with mental health issues. And like you say, mm. talking to a friend, going off the record uh, and, and speaking to someone within your workplace, uh, I think are all brilliant points towards different bits of advice. I think every, uh, although a lot of the advice has overlapped, our guests that we've had on the show, uh, there's a lot of similar trends that are coming in. You know, sleep is a big one. People mm. don't, they, they take sleep for granted and they underestimate the importance of it for me. Uh, well, I, Tom, I used to just laugh at you. Right, honestly, some of the studio sessions me and you have had, and he, I've oh. been sitting there at the desk <laughs> like, We've had Dickie in there as well. And we're both, me and Dickie have been there. For, Tom's a late. He's late for a start, right? So he's an hour late. And then I've got Dickie, me and Dickie just having a coffee, catching up. And Tom comes in, oh, I fancy asleep. 
<laughs> he's there oh. on the sofa. I'll be with you in a minute. And then yeah. he's like, uh, <laughs> and, then <laughs> and he's like, oh, don't tell Laura. Don't tell Laura. She'll be mad. That studio, that studio was beautiful. You could just like escape from everything. It's like, I'm going to go yeah. there. I'm going to record some of that. I'm a little nap. Yeah, just let me have a nap. Just let me have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I've, I used to, with the gigs and running the, and running the business, I would have four or five hours. And with, with Ted, and as you know, with the kids, they do get up early. And sometimes I'd be going to bed at three, half three, four, and getting up at eight, nine, because it'd be like, oh, it's nine o'clock, like, I've got to, I need to get started with the day because everyone else is up at work like your employees are in work and they're go- and then as a director sometimes you're like oh I should be out doing it so I think you like me personally I'm guilty for like pushing myself when actually I should have just said hang on a minute I, I can- nothing's going to change if I sleep in for an extra hour mm. one thing that you know the, the whole lockdown's done for me is that I have probably got about eight hours sleep a night, maybe nine if I was, if it, you know, and it's, I think it's done me a lot of favours. Oh, I, I've put a bit of weight on, <laughs> but that, well, I don't, that can no, be changed. Well, with the sleep, I mean, oh, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but for the lot, what the lockdowns made me realise is that actually I'll work at my own pace. And I think that's yeah. helping as well. Like, I think if you go to an office space, you know, you 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 feel like you're under pressure to work between nine to five. Whereas mm. when you're in your own space, and like, yeah, look, I've done well. I've got, I'm, not everyone's got this. I've got a room which I've tried to make as creative as possible and trying to be a bit more focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. But not everyone's got that privilege. I know, I get that. But there shouldn't be this pressure to go to sit there and go, oh my God, I've got to work nine to five. No. no. Why not go out in the morning and spend an hour with your kids in the morning or go for and do some exercise? Or and because you can always catch up in the evening and then, you know, or you can wait the next day. Or actually at the moment, the weekends, what are you doing at the weekend? Well, okay, I've got a couple hours spare at the weekend, really, aside mm-hmm. from my family stuff, or you know, I'm not out working, working, but I can make up for it then yeah. you know so that that's helping at the moment definitely good so Carl, how did you come in contact how did you meet how did you get in touch how did you find out about 615 so obviously being a resident dj for head candy we tour a lot with uh, live musicians um and i think tom just i don't know if you just come on board or you it was a year or two after you were you know i haven't really at this point, I hadn't really gigged with you much, but I think we'd done a couple, but this was the first time where we got to spend time together. Yeah. Because well, I know we... the first gig. <laughs> I know first... the first, the first oh, gig I did with you was Gibson in Germany with me, you ah. and Dean. I knew who you were. You were, and I've, I've, I've said this before uh, when we've discussed it, you, I always felt you were a little bit standoffish um, in terms of like, I didn't realise, put it this way, when we was at Gibson, if you just, someone had said to me, he's going to be one of your groomsmen at your wedding, I'd have told them to, off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's, do you know what, do you know what though, it's weird, it's weird, you know, it's, this is something I need to put to bed because you're not the only one that used to say that I was, not standoffish, but people used to assume that I was arrogant and night and quite... No, I don't know if it was I, that. I think, I think what it is, I think what it is, is I was a very shy introvert. I was, I am still an introvert to this day. And I think um, 
people do, especially in the industry, they take that for for you being arrogant and not wanting to talk. But the truth of the matter is, I can tell you there's been over a handful of, of times in my life where I've been in an amazing situation with these big artists or speakers of people in the industry, and I just am stuck. I'm lost for words. I don't yeah. know what to say. And, yeah. and so I, rather than saying something for the sake of saying something, because I've put myself in stupid situations by doing that as well, yeah. I guess I just kind of, I, I just quiet. And, and, yeah. and I know how that can come across. So hopefully, if anyone that ever thought I was that, I am not that. That's just, <laughs> I am just, you know, no, no, I, no. I will have a conversation with anyone. And, I think it's just um, also because of the position I was in, I was in such a high perceived position within Head Candy from compiling the albums and on the road every weekend with them. People also feel like you're in a position of power. Oh, mm. I don't want to do anything wrong as well. So there can be that kind of, um, yeah, yeah, kind of crossover. Maybe, maybe it was that where there was a bit of a, I was told so back then. Obviously, Dean Oram mm-hmm. ran the uh, live artist side of the bookings for Head Candy as a separate business, as, in, as an agent right. type type uh, role. He probably said, "Told me who you were." I, I would have known who you were because you used to compile the albums and things like that, and mm. we've been listening to for years. I remember, I remember Dax telling a story once, actually, about how he messaged you. When I first started working with Dax, obviously, which we've been through in the, one of the earlier episodes, he, uh, he was obviously really, really keen to, to get his brand out there and start to build the Dax on Stats brand. And when I got, when 6.15 took over the uh, head candy agency side with the live artists, mm. I was putting Dax onto... The gigs, I think it was actually before 6.15, I think it was the old management I had that Dean used me to book out talent as well. Yeah. Because uh, me and Dean became quite good friends. And anyway, the um, Dax messaged you, I think, asking to do a mix. <laughs> and I think you just said, no. <laughs> uh, wicked. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you what, i tell you what, do you know what though? Back then though, when I was doing all the head candy and all stuff, I used to get peppered. I can't imagine. Can imagine? Like Facebook Messenger is so important to me now, but back then I would never use it for business. Yeah. I never mm. used it for business, but now I use it all the time. But back then I was like, no, I'm emails only if you want my attention. But then at the same time, I was getting about 200 demos or promos a day because not only was I was A&R, for the compilations, I used to mix all the radio, the weekly radio show. Yeah. I used to, you know, the DJs. I used to set what the DJs could play in the remit. And oh my God, you know, so I was consumed with so much music and messages. And how do I become a head candy DJ? How do I do this? I'm like, oh my God. It, you know, and yeah. I, I, I like It's just a lot simpler to put a one sentence answer in it. No. Well, I mean, it's done. <laughs> I don't recall saying it like that. But all I'm going to say is, like, you know, I did help a few people out on the way. Yeah. And I, got, oh, yeah. I was, as I was helped, and for every, as long as I helped one in every 10, that's, what, 10 or 20, I don't know how much more I could have done, you know? Uh, mate, you've got to be, sometimes you have to be selective at that time. And, and we went down this road quite similar with 
uh, Will Maiden's uh, interview about DJs and asking to play and let me have a go. There's a, there's a point where you've got to say no. <laughs> let me have a go on your decks. Let me do this. You can't say yes to everyone. No. Or you just get overwhelmed with things yeah. that aren't right for your brand, a brand you're working for. Um, sorry, back to the history of how we met then, because I remember, obviously, that was the f- definitely the first time we actually personally met was Gibson Club in Frankfurt with Sinesia and Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Because I think there's a chance that, you know those little green beans that you get at a Japanese restaurant that you, you eat at Adamas? Yeah, well, I, I ate the full thing like it was a like it was a, like a snap pea. I was like, and I think you looked over and went, you know, you're not meant to eat the whole thing. But... <laughs> you know what? That, now you said that, I do remember that. Was, it, was that when we were in the, in the um, yeah in that in the in a hotel bar or was it in the? Oh, yeah, I think it was in one of City's restaurants that he used to yeah. take to. We normally went to the steakhouse and then. At that time, they said, oh, we'll, not, we'll go for this Japanese thing. I'm sure it was that. I, I remember you all sat around looking at me and I just went... <laughs> As if it was like a green bean. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> it's just a bit yeah, like, a, yeah, like a snappy thing. And, and yeah. the chilli and the, the salt on the outside, which is obviously what you're meant to just eat the bean, at the, the pea or whatever it is out the middle. And uh, yeah, I ate the whole thing. Oh, you know, man. There was like strings and green stuff. I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> and I think you just looked up. And it was possibly the first, other than obviously, hi, mate, how are you? And you, you knew Sinesha and Dean. You were chatting and I was sort of like the new boy in the corner. And I think you looked up and went, uh, you know you're not meant to eat all those holes. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I was like, oh, Crap. Uh, <laughs> those moments where you just sink into the chair, like, oh, God. I mean, at the same time, how dare me for thinking I'm better than you by putting you down about eating? You can eat them how you want to eat them, Tom. It's no, fine. But, yeah, but to be fair, it's a lot nicer if you eat them how they're meant to be. Yeah, true. Go on. Sorry. I'll let uh, you yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, I think at the time as well, like, yeah, Dean was running the artist side of things, and we had so many gigs that time. Like, like I said, um, we were pretty much two, three every weekend. I can't remember. But it, they weren't all in the UK, though. They were no, that's what I mean. So we had, fly, I was flying to Holland, Germany. Holland and Germany, massively. Like, yeah. every, nearly every weekend for about yeah. a year. Yeah. And um, we just had so many new live musicians. And you know what? When you just go, oh, there's another saxophone. Here's another percussionist. And there's no offence to you guys, but it's just how it yeah. was then. But yeah. then... Get to play with you, and it's yeah. like, oh, actually, okay, yeah, you're the, the you're the bees knees, you're you know the dogs nuts, and that's how I guess that's how our relationship then moved on to the next stage, yeah. is where we 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 then started to work with each other, and I guess yeah. we had a great trip to Ibiza where mm. that was where the first conversation started to happen as to how we could potentially help each other out. Yeah. A lot yeah. of work and stuff. So yeah, definitely that on the beach at the back of. But that hotel's changed now. Um, yeah, Soul House. I, Soul I House, yeah, yeah. And it was, it's been done up very, very well. Uh, at the time, it hadn't changed because it had a rooftop terrace since it's been done up. But at the time, it didn't. And we'd gone out onto that beach at the back and just sat Reggae, reggae beach, bar. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah. Over, yeah, over, over, over from that, I think. It That's was. right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think actually, I remember you saying to me that about we, we were discussing this exact conversation then at the time and that was when we obviously collaborated as 615 after that conversation yeah. that's when you came on board 
But I think I do remember you discussing that you had heard of me before we met because you signed for a Head Candy compilation album, I think my first ever record feature, which it wasn't a feature because Cat Kiris was the vocalist, but it was Dom Navarra mm-hmm. featuring Beach Cat House Kiris. It was. And it, it was, was on a Beach, Beach House, House 2014 yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And... Well, Beach was, House was, was my baby. Like, that yeah. was my favourite album, the Head Candy series. And mm-hmm. only good soulful house went on those on those albums. So. But I was credited on the record. And obviously, you being you, you, knew, you know everything about every record. So you obviously picked up on that. Because I remember you mentioning that to me when we was in the in Ibiza. Wow. Which was, okay. Yeah, because it was, I think, either that or one with Freighter and Stent was my first proper track. Yeah, and then there was that you, one with Peter Brown that I did with... Um, What's his um, Dancing Divas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. Peter Brown? Well, the, Do you remember the, that? Yeah, I mean, well, because I mean, Chris Freitas came on board and did. Um, he did. So he was a Head County resident as well. So a lot of his records he was doing was, were starting to be on the compilations as well. Because mm. you know, I was always about the team, and if the DJs are making music, it was only a good thing that their music ended up on our compilations. So you know, if you work working with those guys, the chances are you would have had a track on the album because yeah. it just I just saw it was it brought more value to the brand rather yeah. than choosing records that other labels were using on their albums as well yeah, so, yeah. but yeah no I do remember that and um, and then you know we then went on to record together ourselves yeah so, 100% you know, and we've got a record yeah. well we've got the well, our latest records out on Phoenix yeah absolutely Phoenix Music yeah. um, when is that out yeah. again? It will be out by the time this is out, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's out, yeah. It's, so out on Friday the 8th of May. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Happy days. Right, Cammy, next question. So, Cal, what do you think of 615 and the people behind the brand? Obviously, no. I love you all. I think uh, the brand is one of a kind. It leads from the front. And that's all down to the people that are, are yourself, Tom... Dax, Cammy, you know, Cammy's been part of the furniture since you guys started. So, you know, he's pretty, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, because I mean, you're doing the gigs with you guys as a DJ to see the brand grow from more than just a DJ, a sax player, and a percussionist into an entertainment company that isn't scared about pushing on and pushing forward and trying new things is, you know, I've, I've got to take my hat off to you because I think it's an incredible achievement in such a small amount of time and yeah mm. like you know we've all had ups and downs along the way but you've kept yep. going you kept going and even this during this time right now I believe that you know you want to do more and there's mm. no giving up and I think you know that's where longevity and trust in what you do uh, is evident from the outside in good, good, good answer and I think your dog had a bit of input there. I might be. I, hey, I don't have no dogs around here. It's <laughs> definitely not me. <laughs> Mate, my, my dog's outside. I'm sure I could hear Tommy barking. These, these, these By the way, Carl, Carl loves me that much. He's named his dog after me. I didn't call him Tommy. <laughs> I didn't name him after you. I actually, I actually, no, Tommy. No, I'll tell you what. I do like the name Tom, but it's from actually the Welsh name, Tomos. So... When I was at school, I had a, one of my best mates was called Thomas, and he was from Wales. And we lost touch when I I'd moved to schools when I was about twelve. We lost touch. I just thought it's always resonated with me that name. And yeah. um, 
Sure. You can't call your dog Thomas, you know? So I was yeah. like, oh, Tommy. Yeah. And then obviously I started working more with you and I had to remind you that time I didn't name him up to you, but yeah. You'll like this to, to know this, that uh, we were on a FaceTime call, my, myself and Jack Spriggs to Cammy. Uh, either last, I think a couple of nights ago, just about some of the live stream we're doing, and a, a dog called Philip attacked him. I'm <laughs> 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 serious. Oh, yeah. oh, come here. Philip, Philip, come back. <laughs> it's only a little chihuahua, but it had a back oh, and a half, trust me. It was after wow. me. Oh, funny. Wow. Sorry, that's my brother's name, so I can't really laugh. But it's a, but a dog, yeah, a dog. Called, yeah, a dog called I mean, like the whole, Philly. the whole, the whole cat called Dave thing is gone now, isn't it? But, yeah, yeah. Wow, brilliant. I think names are just getting more, just more human these days. Like Philip. I mean, I've never heard a dog called Philip in my life. Every, but when I heard him, yeah. when I heard the guy shouting, I was like, Philip. I mean, I'm not being funny. I've never given my dog a cake for his birthday. So in terms of. I've given him like a treat, like a bit of steak or something like yeah. that. But I've never, but you see these people with these cakes and get trying to get their dog to blow out a candle. Oh, Come on, guys. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, <laughs> dog got I like mean, a little hat on and everything. Yeah, yeah. Be, be yeah. careful about slating the pets, man. The, the pets are the, the power, aren't they? It's well, like... if evolution happens in 20, <laughs> what, 200 years' time, they might be able to blow out that candle. But you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's going to be a while, yeah. We'll, so. we'll see, yeah. yeah. Well, we won't, but. Cammy. <laughs> yeah, so moving on, any funny stories whilst working with 615? Well, we've had quite a few already, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, to be fair. Well, the one that, I mean, there's one that sticks to mind, and that is actually going back to that trip to Ibiza where me and Tom started uh, having the conversations. Now, he's quite proud of this, but oh, I think he's quite yeah. proud of, it, of, what, of what happened. But he, so... This summer, I mean, obviously, like Tom, you know, you 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 filling in a few gigs that summer for um, the lovely Laura. I who, was, you know, she her filling much better down than I am. <laughs> well, well, you know, don't put yourself down too much, mate. She's, you know, when you think of her candy, you think of Laura in terms of the gigs, and you used to think of Cammy's dad as well, Pav. You know, they they were the original musicians, and um, it was always a pleasure to play alongside her. So Tom was filling in for Laura and, um, she, you know, the, whenever you go to Headcaddy, it's always about a big thing about the production and how it looks <laughs> and, what, and what to wear. And um, Laura would do it, you know, this summer, I think the, the, um, the theme was uh, Tropical Paradise. Yeah. <laughs> and they had this cage that Laura would be, she'd come down in this cage, like elevated down, Lifted down, and it would be, and she'd be there dressed like a in all these feathers. And so they were like, Oh, well, Tom's doing it this time. What what can we put Tom in? So he had this, uh, <laughs> he had this massive floral head mask, <laughs> and he had to wear this white waistcoat. And the waistcoat wasn't very <laughs> a leather waistcoat, a leather vest. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all white and this massive thing on his head and uh, to be fair he looked a bit in shape his, uh, his guns were quite you know you could see you know, yeah yeah um, but, it, but you know what just to, to 
I, at the time, it didn't phase me, but I just saw the photo of him the other day wearing that, and I'm like, what a Wally. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, forced into this position to have to wear a, a, a to, to look like a tropical bird of paradise. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was kind yeah. of funny. But I mean, look, I mean, we've got plenty of funny stories, but I don't, I think our funny stories often involve alcohol. Ooh. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, which we don't like to. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Well, no, I mean, also like alcohol for me. Like, I've had a couple, like probably two nights in the last year where I've had alcohol. I know I don't drink since going into hospital. I don't do mm. it, but generally, even before that, in the year leading up, I didn't because I was driving to gigs and yeah. stuff like that. You know, so I wouldn't. I'm sure we've had some time without it, but I think the alcohol's killed those memories mm. after. Yeah, well. yeah. Well, I, have got a comp- I have got a compilation, to be fair, of um, of moments of Carl that I've collected over the years. But yeah. it doesn't involve any alcohol, but it, it does involve <laughs> you eating food at very awkward angles. And you've always caught me, Jack. You've always looked at the right point and you've caught me filming you. And there was one oh. time, I think it was after Venus, it was like 5, 5.30 in the morning or 6 after Venus. And um, Mackie's was it? Was that Mackie's? Yeah. And you said something on camera like, "Don't tell anyone I'm eating Mackie's. I don't really care. I'm going to eat it anyways." And I recorded you saying it, and you took a bite, and I record. Obviously, I recorded you uh, eating it, and then you dropped your burger, and you actually chased me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it somewhere. Um, I as yeah, I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier on, I don't still deal with stress very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, yeah, do you know what? Like. I don't know. I don't know why it's so bad to have a Mackey. Why is it seen as so bad to have a Mackey's? When you think back on that, uh, I, don't no, know. Like, just... I mean, the fact that Cammy might put a video up on social media is enough to worry. But I think, to be honest with you, the question was, have I got any funny stories about yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not, have you got funny no, stories? Because no, yeah. I, I don't want to hear them right now. Right? No, no, we don't need to. <laughs> we won't go into that. Right, we'll get into the final, the final round then, which is our quick fire question round. Quick fire. So I'm going to kick start this off with one of my own questions, to be fair. If you had to choose a genre, what would it be in regards to music? Um, like a favourite, preferred one? Because of my work and I, I'm constantly listening to music, it is tough for me to, to zone out and listen to this specific genre. But if I'm doing, you know, because a lot of the stuff I do at home and I'm just chilling out and relax or or with the kids and whatnot, I, I just, I love putting on chill-out music. Mm. Old school, Café Del Mar, ambient, uh, afterlife productions, that kind of stuff, because I just, just nice. takes me back to a place where when I first started to go in Ibiza, you know, I used to get all these massive remixes of big records, like, especially in the early 2000s, like Afterlife, Steve Miller, who I've had the absolute honour and privilege to work with, he was just churning out these remixes of like Roger Sanchez, Another, Another Chance. And uh, I remember getting, I commissioned his remix of Eric Prince Pijanu as well. And I just remember like being Legend able to work track. with so, Yeah, and, and then I got to work with him. Uh, so I did an album with Head Candy with lovely Laura uh, called Blerica Unplugged, which was an unplugged uh, covers album, which was done in an IB for yeah, yeah. Lyric style. And we had the productions down, but they needed something extra. So it turned out amazing. It sounded fantastic. And yeah, um, yeah I'd say like afterlife playlists and stuff like that, just when I need to just chill. Is Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons, for those that don't know, a time traveller? Yes. 
Good lad. That's I can't tell you. There you go. So that's it. That's it. Come in. <laughs> All right. Um, hustle and bustle or countryside and Wales? Oh, countryside and Wales. Yeah, yeah, man. Doubt. All, all day countryside. Okay. okay. Um, what's your favourite cheese? Do you know what? I'm going to say this because it does mean a lot to me. Um, I went to Holland and I brought back some Edam cheese. And I remember my wife saying... Edam, that'll do. Quick Edam. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I've got to explain it. Go on, I'll explain let, it. Right, because it's you, I'll let you explain it. Because I would, I, would, I would say mozzarella, but actually the Edam yeah. is because... Um, when I proposed to my now wife, I took her for a picnic in Hyde Park in London and I made the sandwiches and I, for some reason, picked up Edam cheese and that was in the sandwiches. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. What, what, yeah. a lovely, what a lovely story. How romantic, Carl. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Right, Cammy. <laughs> final question, Carl. Um, what is your favourite track of all time? Going back to my trance days, but more on the chill side, it's uh, Chicane Saltwater. Nice. Oh, yeah, baby. Nicely. Right, that's it from us. Thank you, Carl, for kindly joining us on the Off The Record podcast, which you edit. But appreciate, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate your time. It's been a great chatting to you. A brilliant insight into yourself and you know where you've come from and how you've set to work with Team 615 and it's been an absolute pleasure mate so thank, thank you. you so much no thank you it's been an honour and um, uh, I look forward to being on it again in a hundred years time when we can talk about uh, dogs who can blow out candles yeah. <laughs> well, well, maybe we should package it up into some sort of canister and fire it into space absolutely, <laughs> so, absolutely. so off the record podcast in space because you can't dig Holes for time catchers anymore because you'll just fall out through the flat earth, won't it? So, oh, <laughs> 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 so right. all right, good, bad, right. Listen, Brilliant. thank you so much, and uh, cheers, guys, for listening. So, that's a wrap, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. It was great to have Carl Hannigan on the show. All the social links to Carl's, ours and the podcast will be in the description yes thanks cheers Cammy and thanks again for joining us thanks for continuing to listen to us on the Off The Record podcast but most importantly please give us a share tell your family and friends about us uh, it's all very much appreciated and uh, we'll see you next week thank you bye see you later 6.15 Off The Record <laughs>